The Money Show. Other people's money. On to other people's money this evening and uh, looking forward to chatting to a legend of TV production in South Africa. He's been doing it for, well, let's not give too much away, I suppose, Clive Morris. Clive Morris is the chief executive and founder of Clive Morris Productions. But you've been making programs, not only television, but corporate programs and uh, documentaries and 50-50 for a long time. 30 years, hi, Bruce. 30 years. How did it start? What was your first gig? Were you a runner on a set of some description or did you start <laughs> Did you start big? I started very big. I played Wiffles, the watchdog. No way. That was you. I was the original Wiffles, Bruce. <laughs> I have to admit it here. On... <laughs> I thought Adrian Galley had taken over that role of Wuffles. Wasn't he Wuffles at some he, stage as well? Was he your successor? He took over from me. Yeah, he took <laughs> over from me. <laughs> I don't you know, know where that's from. They still have my voice singing that opening number because it's been repeated for years. And I still, it's still my voice in that opening song. I never got paid a cent for it. There's, there's, there's got to be go a royalty back. payment there somewhere for you. There's got to be somewhere. a royalty. And uh, yeah, it just proves that Adrian Galley can't sing because if they're still using your voice and he was your successor, oh dear. Um, I mean, um, yeah, so we all started in some way or other, I suppose. You started in front of the camera. When did you move behind it? Well, when we were doing the show, I started watching the directors and, you know, how they were doing it and started writing episodes. And, um, and that's how I got into it. I thought, no, that's much more exciting. I didn't like being on the front of the camera, actually, though I'd studied drama. And so I started getting more and more involved in, in the writing. And um, I'd written um, a script, a comedy, a stage play, actually, called Made in South Africa, M-A-I-D in South Africa. And I came home one day and my father said, oh, you must phone, um, you must phone Creepy Crawly. I said, Creepy Crawly? What does Creepy Crawly want with me? No, no, here's the number. I must phone Creepy Crawly. It turned out to be Penguin Films, not Creepy Crawly. And my dad had got them because there were penguin pools in those days. So he got completely. <laughs> and I nearly didn't phone. And it was Roberta Durant at, at uh, Penguin Films who'd read my script and wanted me to write a comedy for her. And then I started writing and then got into production. She was my mentor. Fantastic. I mean, one looks at your spread of work today, and I wonder if it is uh, deliberately organic and simply mopping up every aspect of production that is available to you, or a survival mechanism to go from everything from broadcast to live events to documentaries to commercials and music videos to corporate clients to destination videos to virtual events to facilities to photography. Goodness gracious me. I don't think there's a box unticked here, is there? I think it's a bit of both, you know, because you do in this country have to do a lot of things, I think in any industry, but I think specifically in ours, because, you know, I mean, a perfect example was COVID and all the live events just shut down. Sure. Um, so there were no live events and thank God we had broadcast and documentary. Um, and now live events are back. So we're busy with that. So, you know, it is, it's a bit of survival, but, you know, one thing leads to another and gets you into a different sphere. And then, you know, live, live, you know, directing live is just so exciting, the adrenaline rush. So I love and, and that's, that. And that's the big events. I mean, I'm, I, I don't know if it's the sort of Miss South Africa scale stuff um, of live events where anything can and will go wrong and you survive 
from your wits, from your experience and leaning on the people next next year? Absolutely. And you do rely on the people and you've got to put big, really good people around you. You've got the experience um, because anything can go wrong and often does. I mean, we've had generators blow out two minutes before going on air and having to swap from a big generator to a tiny one and then hoping that it all comes back on just before a live show. Um, so anything is possible. You do have to keep your wits about you. What's and, been the biggest you know, having... disaster you've overseen so far? <laughs> uh, we did a production outside of the country, the big music production that I won't mention the name. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, anything that could have gone wrong did go wrong. They didn't have money for the generators. So the generators kept going out on us. They hadn't paid artists and yeah, it was um, it, it was one of the productions I could have done without. But I suppose the experience of it gets you ready for whatever comes after that. So everything's a learning, and you've got to take the learning from it and not the, the hammering over the head. Provided you survive it, of course. But I suppose once you get to scale, um, then you've got the capacity and you've got the reputation with which to, somebody can say, okay, that was a disaster, but let's let's move on. What, what's your favorite part of what you do now? You didn't like being woofles in front of the camera, um, but you've got a whole array of activities, including some very popular soap operas, some very popular tele-vanellas, tele-novellas, um, and other, and, <laughs> and other productions. Um, what is, what's your favorite aspect of what it is that you do? I love writing, um, but I don't get enough time to write because, you know, running a company's full-time job, but, um, I've got a wonderful business partner and my wife is my, um, financial director. Yes. Yes. But between my, my partner, Dom Gumede and Pam, I'm getting a bit more time to do some writing now. Um, and I love directing too, but you know you so seldom get time because you really got to focus on those things. You got to cut everything out, and and direct or write. And it's very hard to get time out to do that. And that's really what I love. But I've given other people the chance to do it instead of taking it for myself often. How do you grow this business to a point? Pavlo Fatidis always tells us uh, businesses either get to a point where they have to close down or they get sold. And this is such a diversified, substantial, it would seem, certainly from the outside production company with, you know, you pay lots of wages, you pay lots of salaries, but the wages are sort of people who come in on project work, so you don't have to carry actors and and, and teams of people there, I suppose. But how do you sort of eventually exit this business one day? Because surely you must want to do that eventually. Um, I wouldn't like to completely retire. I, I would love to keep, you know, working, especially if I can write and direct. But I think the way to to do that is to keep young people around, which I do. I love young people. I love training young people. I love their ideas. They're so much better than mine, and they're so quick. And you know, I love having young, energetic creatives around me. And you know, they they are what keeps the business growing, and changing, and developing. And you've got to listen to young people because they're so bloody bright. And, is um, it lacquer? I mean, and, and that's the nature of the industry, isn't it? I mean, it's an industry that's deeply creative. It's an industry that is attuned with now um, and is kind of shaping, I suppose, our attitudes for the future because that's what popular culture does. Yeah, for sure. And you've, you've got to, the thing is that if you're going to bring people in, you've got to listen to them um, because there's no good having people around and, and not listening to them. 
You've but been reading Steve the... Jobs' biography, haven't you? That was Steve Jobs' no, philosophy. No, <laughs> no, what's the... no, no, you've got to listen to the people you hire. Otherwise, why did you hire them in the first place? It's a completely pointless <laughs> exactly. exercise. And if you're going to do it all yourself, well, then do it yourself. That's fine. But, yeah. you know, don't, don't go hiring people for, uh, to, to get their ideas and then don't tap them for those ideas. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, he's he's right. He, I must have told him that once. Um, I, I, I'm sure you did. He, he learned a lot from you. <laughs> we're talking this evening. We're talk, we're talking this evening to TV produ- well, production specialist extraordinaire. I don't know what you are. Um, he is Clive Morris. He is the chief executive, the founder and chief executive of Clive Morris Productions. We're talking business. We're talking about the way in which he's built Clive Morris Productions through. A multifaceted approach to anything that can be entertainment related, um, and including Feltwerkers and Feiftach Feiftach 50 50. You can do it either way. Um, and all sorts of other productions, massive live events as well, huge um, fashion weeks, and all sorts of things. Phenomenal, phenomenal track record of corporate videos and commercials and music videos, all of that sort of stuff. We'll get into the nitty gritty of money and why it's important and how it matters. With our guest this evening, Clive Morris at Clive Morris Productions. The Money Show. Other people's money. And uh, tonight's guest is Clive Morris, who is the founder and chief executive of Clive Morris Productions. Have you ever raised funding? Have you done this bootstrapping or have you taken on partners over time? How have you managed to grow to the extent that you have, Clive? You know what? Um, raising funds in our industry is just so incredibly difficult. We we had a it, there was a Netflix symposium last week, and so many producers were discussing there that the banks just don't get us. They don't after thirty odd years with the same bank, um, you know, to try and explain what it is production. You know, it's it's a it's an industry that puts in billions into the the GDP every you know, every year, and it could contribute so much more if people would just get it and realize you can actually make it work, especially now. You know, they say it's the golden age of TV. We've got all the streamers coming here, and that's really changed things for us. It's really, really has changed things for us. Uh, there was a, somebody was saying in the early stages of COVID, anybody who's ever thought that, you know, the, uh, the arts weren't important now is surely the time to recognize the importance of the art as people were sat on their couches at home watching Netflix and waiting for the pandemic to pass. And I think that lesson has probably been quite short lived. So you've done this basically bootstrapping right from the very start. You've used your Wuffles money <laughs> um, right, at the very be- <laughs> right at the very beginning as your seed funding then, I suppose. Yeah, it was. Um, Pam and I have put a lot back into the business. We, you know, that's how how this industry works. You know, but things are changing in a sense. The broadcasters have historically always owned the IP, the intellectual property, in everything we do. It's commissioned. It belongs to them. They sell it. They make the money from it. And things are changing quite a bit now. Um, we did um, something recently with an international um, broadcaster. And they were prepared to let us fund 30% of it, um, which was very difficult, especially during COVID when everything took much longer than it should have. So that was a very expensive 30%. Um, But then we own that 30% and it's now being sold. And so we're, you know, getting that back and plus. So things are definitely changing. The streamers that have come in have made a huge difference. They've opened it up for, for, for everybody, for all the producers. 
And I suppose that must be a huge relief after the failures of the SABC, which must have been the biggest commissioner for a long time. Yes, Mnet has done a lot of good work and there's been CakeNet and many other uh, facilities. But the SABC for many, many years was the, the the only place you could go to be commissioned. And then, of course, we all know the, the collapse of the SABC and the failure to pay and all of that sort of stuff over many years. Um, that must have threatened you, I'm sure, from time to time in terms of your sustainability. Yeah, for sure. Um, but, you know, the SABC has been a client of ours for 27 years, whatever it is. So you don't just turf out a good client because they're going through some tough times. So we've stuck with the SABC and they've really been good to us. It's been up and down. It's been very difficult at times. I think that's been in the public domain. It's not any secret. But, you know, we, we you can't just turf people because they're going through a hard time. And you know, the SABC is so important. I don't think we realize how many people still watch SABC who Absolutely. don't have access huge. Yeah. to this? Yeah, to the streamers and and you know ETV does fill in the gap there, but the SABC is still a very big player, and and should be. And you know the, the, it's a vital, vital institution. So I don't think we must just throw them out with the bathwater. And there are changes, and I think they're really trying hard to to bring themselves back. But it's it's been a difficult road for the SABC and the producers. I have no doubt. When you look at the the shape that your finances are in after all of these years, pouring money in and big ticket items, some projects would have worked better than others. You would have lost some money on some. You would have succeeded more in others than, than some. I, I wonder how confident you are about your financial future. I think I would be less confident if it was not for the international streamers uh-huh. um, after coming here but I think they've they've opened up a whole new world for all of us at the same time they've fragmented the industry so there's a lot of fragmentation and viewers that have been you know t- taken away from our classic broadcasters but still they've they've opened up a whole new world for us and it's been very exciting you know just dealing with them and and moving into into that sort of um, domain where you can reach, um, you know, an international market as well. In South Africa, for many years, known as a great place to make adverts. But I just look at the huge developments around the Cape Town Film Studios, and I just I, I get a great sense of optimism in your industry that there is big money coming in, um, and it is becoming an increasingly sustainable in, uh, industry after you know, a couple of years of real hardship. Absolutely. Oh, totally. It's definitely, they say, it's the golden age. And um, I, I do believe it. I just wish I was 25 years younger. Um, <laughs> so that starting you've out laid now, the, You've laid the I, groundwork, Clive. You've laid the groundwork for others. You'll be the shoulders yeah. upon which the giants will... You'll be the giant upon whose shoulders others will stand. From your mouth to, <laughs> to higher beings. <laughs> but uh, I think what you're saying, though, is that the, the, the youth is where the future is. And um, and I think that is so. And I think, you know, they, they really, you know, they, they, they just got it. They've got it. Great young filmmakers who just know what to do somehow. And, of course, they're technically savvy um, and, and they're marketing savvy. So I think the future is great for our television and film industry. It's so nice to hear. It really is, Clive. Um, when you look, I mean, how many more years do you want to keep doing this at the rate at which you're doing it? Um, so many people just can't let go. You said you don't want to retire, but surely at some point there's got to be, I don't know, a coastal future or uh, or at least, you know, um, sitting on the Northcliffe Ridge looking at the sunsets. 
Yes, I think so. My wife tells me all the time that we need to retire, but my partner says not just yet. Um, so we'll see. One day they'll check us out, I suppose. Um, <laughs> but if, as long as I can get a thrill out of it, I would like to to keep doing it to some degree, perhaps not working as hard as I, I am. And I think a lot of my staff would be very happy if I would stop working as hard and just let go and let them do it. Oh, I see. I'm getting told frequently that I need to just let go and trust people. So I am trying very hard to do that. It's a bloomin' hardest thing. I mean, it's uh, you know, it is the curse, of course, of the founder um, that you know you you're there. You know how it works. You know where the bo- well, not literally where the bodies are buried, but you know what I mean. Um, and <laughs> there are plenty, Clive. I think we'll drama, start talking plenty, right now. Plenty dead bodies in drama. <laughs> Clive Morris, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Clive Morris at Clive Morris Productions on Other People's Money, the founder and chief executive of an extraordinary. South African enterprise you may not have clocked before. Thank you, Bruce. Cheers.